we started a series about gratitude um, last week. And how many know we're in a season of, of being thankful and having gratitude? Amen. And I talked, I gave Christmas a hard time, not a hard time, but I just said, all you people that are already got your trees up and everything, hit the brakes a little bit. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, I already got my tree up, Pastor. It don't matter. Listen, I love Christmas, but I love Thanksgiving, too. I love to give honor. Um, someone said this. They said, I can still give thanks with my Christmas tree up. So, hey, you know what? You do you, boo. That's all I'll say, right? That's uh, <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, I, I, I'm, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my, my favorite seasons. If you have your Bibles today, go to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5. This is a, a reference verse that I'm, I'm using for this. Brother Johnson, he said something funny when he was here a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, uh, all I need is a verse to start out of, and then I just go wherever I want. So that's not what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to stay with this today. Um, can we give our worship team a hand? Give them all a hand. They do an awesome job. Amen. While we're showing gratitude, can we give all of our media team a hand? You know what? If they didn't do what they do, guess what? When you miss church or you're gone, you wouldn't be able to watch the sound would be out of whack in here. There would be no words up there. You may not be able to sing the words. And so, I, so I'm grateful for all that they do and all our volunteers who do that. So, amen. First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. I, I want to read this story before I read that real fast. It's, it's this. I found this super interesting. Anyone ever heard of, uh, of Corey Ten Boom? All right, good. I love this story. Uh, and and it, it says this, Ravensbrück was known as one of the worst German concentration camps during World War II. When Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy found themselves in prison there, they were disgusted to discover that their barracks were infested with fleas. And when Corrie began to complain, Betsy insisted that ins they instead give thanks, quoting 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, in everything... Give thanks. Uh, with some persuasion, Corey finally joined her sister in thanking God for the fleas. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Several months later, the two sisters expressed their surprise that the camp guards had never come back to their barracks to disrupt or prevent their evening Bible studies they held uh, for their fellow prisoners. It was then that Corey realized that the, that, that the very fleas which she had despised had actually been God sent protection from the cruel guards. It's interesting to me. Everyone say, I'm, I'm grateful for the fleas. And some of you are like, I don't want to say that, Pastor. <laughs> At one time I was working on a house and I was crawling underneath it. And it, and it was before they got the, the sides up on this house. And I was underneath there. And I felt all these thousands of little things just jumping all over me. And I said, something is on me down here. It was a little bit dark. And, and the guy above me was on the top of the floor, and we were trying to pass something through. And he said, well, what is it? Is it ants? And I said, no, it's not ants. And I said, it's like they're just like they're on me, then they're off of me, they're on me, then they're off of me. And he said, is it spiders? And I said, I hope not. And, 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 and he said, well, what do you think it is? And I, and I began to look, and I began to see all these fleas, thousands of them just jumping all over me. And I came out from underneath the house, 
And he looked at me, and he goes, oh, my goodness. And he goes, you might not want to. He goes, man, you just need to shed all your clothes right now. And I had thousands of fleas on me. I tell you, well, that was, that's one of those moments where you need to be thankful for the fleas sometimes, right? You just don't know what God's doing. That was one of those moments where I was not thankful for them. But uh, uh, needless to say, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. I like this. Will you just read this with me? It says this. Rejoice always. Let's say it again. Rejoice always. And the next one says this. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> You guys did pretty good. You're good at following directions. Uh, rejoice always. Everyone say that. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. That's what God's will is for you. Say, so I don't know what God's will is. I do. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. You know, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Thanksgiving is not a day that we celebrate, but a lifestyle that we initiate. I'm not thankful just one day a year. I need to be thankful every moment that I'm alive. In the good times and the bad times is what this scripture tells me. In the high times and the low times. Bless you. Thank him even when you sneeze in the middle of church. Amen. You know what the remedy to selfishness is? Thankfulness. That's it. Plain and simple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just use me as a vessel today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my words. God, as I speak, God, I pray that lives would be transformed and changed by your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak life into us. Lord, that you would begin to prod us in areas that we need to improve, God. Give us strength to do so by your Holy Spirit today. God, we just give you the praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Uh, you know, how many know that sometimes you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed? That means I have to roll over my wife if I, if I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. But sometimes, have you ever woke up and just, it just your day started bad? And it just got a little bit worse, and it got a little bit worse, right? You ever just had a bad day? And because you were having a bad day, you wanted everyone else to have a bad day? Come on, somebody. Now, don't look at me like you don't, don't do the same thing. You know, you're like, well, I'm having a bad day, so everyone else around me is going to have a bad day. You know, and nobody likes a grumpy Gus, right? We like silly gooses, but we don't like grumpy Gusses, right? And so uh, nobody, nobody likes a, a grumpy Gus. No one likes to be around someone who is, is always, uh, I don't know, just a, in a bad mood. Uh, you know, and this is interesting to me. Studies have, have shown that a few things are more detrimental to your health than a bad attitude. Somebody, somebody poke your neighbor right now. Um, and a bad attitude because our attitudes begin with our mindsets. You know, they begin with our mindset, and if our, 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 our perspective is stuck in the muck of negativity. Anybody ever been there? Man, sometimes I did. And what happens is our body 
and then our behaviors and, and our mental and emotional self and our physical health will begin to take on the same negative posture, the posture of negativity. And that's what happens for me time to time. Every once in a while I'll have a bad day. Somebody say, Pastor, I can't believe you would have a bad day. I do. Just ask my kids. Ask my wife. Some days, you know, some days, you know, you just wake up like one of the seven dwarves, grumpy. You just you wake up there and it just happens. And, you know, that's, that's okay every once in a while. But um, last week I was talking about gratitude. And, I, and this week I want to kind of shift the focus from gratitude to ingratitude. Everyone say ingratitude. All right, that's a, a different words for some of you. Like, what in the world is that? According to Merriam-Webster, it defines ingratitude as this. The failure or refusal to acknowledge the receipt of something good from another. All right, let me read that one more time. The failure or refusal to acknowledge uh, receipt of something good from another or the forgetfulness of a, of a poor return of kindness. Dictionary.com defines it like this. Ingratitude is a lack of gratitude. Or this means this, that you are unthankful. Have you ever been unthankful? I have. I know I have. You know, it's interesting in, in um, I believe, Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, you know, Paul says in the last day it will be perilous times, and he goes down this list. And right smack dab in the middle of that list, it says that people will be unthankful in the last days. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, thank you. Everyone look at your neighbor on the other side and say, thank you. How many, how many have ever had your parents, you know, when you go to a birthday party or, or your grandma gives you a card and, and, or, or something like that and you get a gift and maybe, maybe you're younger and you didn't necessarily want that gift and your parents said, you better say thank you. And you didn't really care whatever grandma got you or whatever the case. And you were very ungrateful. And your parents said, listen to me, young man. That's what they had said to me. Listen to me, young man. Your grandparents took the time. Your grandma took the time to make that. And you need to be grateful that she took the time to do that. How many have heard that speech before? All right. I'm not the only one. All right. And, 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 but here's what happens when, when, you're, when uh, people say things. Your parents, they do that. They want you to show gratitude for what someone else has done. You know what ingrateful in, uh, in, in, in gratefulness is? is basically that, is knowing that you should say thank you for something when you don't. I'm working on that in my life. Amen? How many of you guys got that figured out yet? All right, good. I'm not the only one. Listen, living a thankful life. See, here's what I know, and this is about being, in uh, gratitude is the choice to not recognize the good or the kindness in our lives. You know, that's a choice, whether you make it subconsciously or consciously, that's a choice that you've decided to make. I'm not going to show kindness or I'm not going to be thankful for what someone's done for me. It's a choice to take on the mindset of the spirit of a grump. So next time you're in a bad mood, you need, to, you need to stop and go, hey, this is a choice that I'm making right now. I've done that as a dad where, I, you know what, I've had a bad attitude, and then I went outside, and I begin to think some of you dads know what I'm talking about. You get outside, and you start reflecting. You're like, why am I being this way? Why am I thinking this way? And you have to go back in. You have to say, hey, I am so, so sorry. Right? Anybody ever been there? 
All right. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But the Bible is full of all kinds of stories originating from a heart of ingratitude. And many, uh, uh, many of these stories we, we see are very disheartening. And, and the very first one that, that we could see in the Bible is Cain and Abel, right? How many know that story? Right? Uh, you know, and, and Cain and Abel, Abel's sacrifice was, was pleasing to the Lord. Remember, he sacrificed the fat of the lamb. And Cain brought, uh, you know, stuff from the ground, and, and, and Cain's was not. God was pleased with Abel. God was not pleased with Cain's uh, sacrifice. And Abel's heart was thankful, and Cain was full of ingratitude. All he could do was focus on the fact that God accepted Abel's uh, sacrifice and not his own. And he didn't reflect in himself, but he began to project that that little bit inside of him. And he got mad. And you know what happened to Abel? Cain took care of him, right? Took him out. So there, there's the, one of the first stories. Here's another guy in the Bible right here, King David. How many say King David? A man after God's own heart. I love, I love King David. He he is just, I, I, I tell you what, he's amazing. He was blessed. The kingdom uh, thrived under him. He was the king. God's blessings were flowing. Uh, uh, everything was successful. He was healthy. He had a family. His wife loved him. And then one day he finds himself in a place he shouldn't be, gazing across the rooftops in, in Jerusalem. And what does he see there? He sees something that does not belong to him. And in the process of that, he covets what he does not have. You know where covetousness starts? Ingratitude. I want that. I don't have that. I need that. And that's where we find David. And his heart became ungrateful. In return, his ungrateful spirit led him to sin. And then he committed adultery. And then he murdered Uriah. And, and, and though God would forgive him, he, he still had this stain on the end of his kingdom there. For the rest of his, the time that he reigned. And he had some issues in his family. He had a lot of fallout issues because of this one single act. And I want to argue with you, well, not argue with you today, but I, I wanted to just bring this point to you today that it is a very slippery slope of, of their sins originated from this very sly sin of ingratitude. Ingratitude. Everyone say ingratitude. You know what? Ingratitude begins in small ways. It's often masked by other emotions and thoughts and behaviors and making the spirit of ungratefulness a, a challenge to identify. You know what? It, we don't like to look at that and say, man, am I being ungrateful for the things that I have? Some of you want to gripe and complain about your job, but you're maybe being a little bit ungrateful that you do have a job. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm getting down to where the rubber meets the road today. However, uh, though it may uh, uh, one of the least apparent sins, it drives a costly price, okay? In gratitude, it drives a costly price. Stick with me today. I got a little bit of a foundation to build. I promise I've got two points, and when I get to them, it's going to be bam, bam, and then we're going to be out of here, all right? Everyone look at your neighbor and say, yeah, right. I want to look at something today. I want to look at this nation uh, of, of Israel when they left Egypt. Um, when they left Egypt, they were out there and they were working their way in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. And, I, you know, this is interesting. They came out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. 
And for a year, the Lord led them in the wilderness, right? They followed the, the cloud by day and then the fire at night. So they, they knew where the, and the Lord, why did the Lord do that? Why did he lead them through the wilderness there for a year? Well, the reason was God brought them out of Egypt, but he had to get the Egypt out of them. They had been there so long, uh, he was working on getting that process. So I want to talk to you just real fast about just Exodus. In Exodus chapter 16, it tells the story how Israel was in the promised land, and they were a grumbling nation. Boy, come on, somebody. How many can relate to that? They were a grumbling nation. And after 45 days of travel, listen, God had done the miraculous. They crossed the Red Sea. God had set them free. God, God caused the Red Sea to cover up Pharaoh's army there. And God gave them a great victory. They danced on the other side. You remember that story? They were all excited. Well, 45 days later, they're traveling. And Israel's resources begin to run dry. And with dwindling resources, their hunger and their exhaustion overtook uh, overtook. Their reserve and the excitement over escaping their enemies and their newfound sense of freedom were quietly squelched by what? Their physical need. How many have ever been hungry? How many have ever been hangry? All right, I'm glad. <laughs> and that's where they were at. I, I, you know what? It doesn't matter that God just freed me from Egypt. Right now, God, I've got a need right this moment. You know what, how quick we forget what God has done for us. In the middle of our own little trial, our own physical need, God, I'm hungry right now. God just took care of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, and you don't think God can meet your need in this moment? This is amazing to me. And what happens is when we begin to grumble, when we begin to complain, we lose sight of what God can do. Amen? And so the excitement uh, over escaping their, their enemies and, and their newfound sense of freedom were quietly squelched by their physical needs. So as their bellies begin to rumble, yesterday I was sitting somewhere with Tristan, and my belly, I just ate, which is crazy, and my belly just rumbled. And I said, was that your belly? She said, no, that was yours. That's when you know you're getting old. You don't know if it's your belly or someone else's, right? And I was like, wow, that's crazy. But their bellies begin to, to rumble, and their mouths begin to grumble. Have you ever grumbled? Have you ever grumbled? Look at this. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 says this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And grumbled at, at them. They were their leaders. They were, well, what is grumbling? To grumble and to complain is to reject the grace of God. All right? Look, look at me. To grumble and to complain. Listen to me, child of God. To grumble and complain. I want, we're going to come back to this definition in a minute. Is to, to, to grumble and to complain is to reject the grace of God. Think about that for a minute. Now, let that sit in. Well, I promise we're going to come back to it here in a minute. Uh, grace, the Greek word, and I didn't get to this last week. It was in my sermon, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to touch on it today. But I didn't get to it. Grace, the Greek word for grace is charis, and that is this, the unmerited favor of God. How many love getting what you don't deserve sometimes? You know what I mean? So, how, how many have been given grace when you deserve worse? Man, I, I, sometimes I, I understand God's point of view in this story because 
you know, sometimes me and Tristan will try to do things with our family, and we'll try to go on, uh, you know, vacation, or we'll try to go to a theme park, and we'll, we'll, me and Tristan think we're doing the greatest thing for our kids. Listen to me. And sometimes when we show up to these theme parks, and my kids are in one of their attitudes, how many know what I'm talking about? And we're there, and I'm like, man, let's just enjoy the time. This is family time. This is great. And my kids are over there going, this is boring. And you know what I do as a parent? I look at them, and I'm like, you are so ungrateful. You ought to be happy that you're even here right now. You can go sit in the car if you want to right now. Look, Zaley knows what I'm talking about. Wyatt, look at him. You look at him. And then, and then Novak's like, I just want my iPad. There's no Wi-Fi here. <laughs> the world's falling apart, right? And they say things like, oh, I'm tired or I'm bored or I'd rather be on my iPad. Come on, some of you parents know what I'm talking about, right? And as a parent, I'm like, do you know how much these tickets cost for us to be here right now? You guys better put smiles on your faces right now. Now think about this. Imagine how God feels when he's just freed a nation. 45 days in and they're grumbling. God, how come you're not doing this for me? How come this isn't working out for me? How come, how come uh, you know, it, it's so bad right now? And he, he, here's the thing. God freed us from the curse of sin, amen? And God has given us food, right? How many ate today? How many are eating today? Anybody skipping meals today? All right, I don't think too many people are skipping meals because you know what? We're blessed, and God has given you a job, but yet we complain and we grumble because, well, it's, it's not as good as theirs. Come on, somebody. I know, I know you're quiet. Listen, we're going somewhere with this. Look at this, Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. The next verse says this. And the people of Israel said to them, oh, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out here to the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God brought them out of, out of Egypt, and here they are complaining, thinking that God is not going to meet their need. How many, how many have ever been there? And it's amazing to me. Our physical needs can change our mindsets and our trajectory, right? Uh, you know, how many, how many have ever been on a mission doing something? And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm hungry, and you got to stop and eat, right? It, it can change your, I, I got I to fill this need. I got this situation. So here's what happens to us. The first sign of trouble, uh, oh, come on, somebody. The first sign of trouble, this is what happens. I want to quit, and I want to run out. Ah, this is tough, Lord. I, I, I've already forgot what you've done back here. But, Lord, uh, you know, right now, I don't know if I can stick with this. I don't know if I can stick with this relationship with you because it's tough right now. God, you set me free from sin, but right now I'm struggling, right? As if God couldn't do this. You know, it kind of reminds me of that song. My chains are gone. I've been set free. This is what the Israelites sang. But those old meat pots look good to me. what Israel did. 
Overcome by their fear of hunger, Israel's focus shifted from the Lord's provision to what another could provide instead. Hey, Moses, Aaron, we had food in Egypt. This is amazing to me. This, this whole story is amazing to me. And what, really, what Israel's really saying there was Egypt can take better care of me than God Jehovah. Man, I don't know about you. When I read that, I thought, man, this is crazy. Uh, this, is, this is crazy. You know, it kind of reminds me of this. It's kind of like Israel, they're kind of acting like this, that they have, it's kind of like asking Colonel Sanders to babysit your chickens for you, right? It's like, hey, we know this isn't good. We know Egypt wasn't good for us. We know it wasn't. But yet, hey, we still would like to go back there. And here's what happens to us. The devil, when you're going through something and you maybe feel like God isn't there 100%, listen to me. God said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. You need to tell the devil he's a liar. But this is what the devil will do. The devil will romanticize your past and say, hey, it wasn't so bad back then. Hey, look back. Before you were saved, hey, how many remember? He'll say this. Hey, remember those parts? you used to go to? You remember those things you used to do? You remember all that? Uh, meat pots and bread. Listen, you can go back to those things, but those things that, that he doesn't remind you of is those hangovers and those regrets coming down from drugs and broken marriages and whatnot. How quick we get into an attitude of ingratitude. Look at this, verse six, uh, verse 4 through 8 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. Everyone say, Come on, Lord, send the bread. And the people shall go out and gather it, day's portion every day, that I may test them. Ooh, I love this. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare uh, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they uh, gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall uh, know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey, let me remind you something, Israel. Hey, it was God who brought us out of Egypt, and it is God who will sustain us here in the wilderness. They're reminding them. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we Uh, That you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us. Moses saying it's not against me and Aaron. It's against God. It's against the Lord. So, you know, um, you know what this tells me is this, that God is patient when I grumble. He's patient. Even when we complain or we show ingratitude, we don't show our thankfulness for what the Lord, the Lord is patient with us. How many are grateful that God is patient with us? Second Peter 3, 9, it tells us that God is patient with us. He has taken his time with us. I'm so glad that God is long-suffering. I'm so glad that God is God and I ain't. Because he gives me a lot more leeway than I would give anyone else. God was gentle with Israel, and he heard their grumbling, and he blessed them. Say, hey, TJ, are you telling us that we should grumble? No, it's not what I'm telling you. But I'm just telling you, sometimes when I grumble, and sometimes when I'm, when I'm, I'm, I'm and, you know, in the worst mood or whatever, and I grumble, God sends a blessing along my way. 
I'm like, I don't deserve this today. I don't, I don't deserve this blessing. So how many have, have been given patience and, and grace by God when you didn't deserve it? How many have ever been given mercy and grace by your parents when you didn't deserve it? Zaley and Wyatt and Novak. I'm picking on them today. It's all right. Um, you know, sometimes we get a blessing when we deserve a whooping. I said whooping. That's right. That's old school. Sometimes we get blessed when we, sh- when we really deserve We don't deserve that. And Moses uses this as a moment, as a teaching moment. He's like, hey, uh, so Israel, guys, th- you, listen, I'll say it in modern terms. This is a toxic trait that you guys have going on right here. This is toxic because you guys are grumbling and complaining, and this is not, not any good, and, and, and you're complaining, you're whining, and you're grumbling. And he understood something that this young nation had not yet figured out, and maybe, and maybe you're here today and you haven't figured it out, that, that this is not what God has, has called you to do, to be a grumbler, but he's called you to be thankful and have a heart of gratitude. Be thankful in what? In all? In what? All things, all circumstances. Here's what I know, and, and this is interesting. In James chapter 1, um, James, he gives this great, uh, it's beautiful. I love the book of James. I like to go back. It, it just, it always just beats me. Uh, it always gets to me. But in James chapter 1, he basically says this, uh, you know, in kind of a roundabout way. We become what we behold. What does that mean? We come what we behold. We become what we see or what we do or what we think. Come on, somebody. If you behold anger, we become angry. When I'm grumpy, guess what? I get grumpier. When I behold envy, guess what? I become envious and I become jealous. Come on, somebody. When I harbor frustration, we become quarrelsome and argumentative. Come on. And Moses knew that if Israel kept grumbling, they would be turned from uh, one of gratitude to far away from the heart of God. But look at this in James chapter 1 verses 12 through 15 it says that that a man who remains steadfast when trials come and instead of grumbling and finding faith in something else other than God will be blessed by depending on God alone. Listen, when I depend on God alone there is a gratefulness within me because God always answers the way that I need him to answer for me. I may not always agree with him, but he answers the way that I need him to answer for me. So Israel, they're leaning, they're, they're leaning into Egypt instead of God here. And they're like, hey, we want to go back to where the meat pots and bread were. And Moses is like, for real? You want to go back to where you're making bacon bricks out in the desert and, and doing free labor for, for Egypt? That's what you guys want? And, and desires, uh, here's what happened, is desires and temptation can lead us away from God's grace and into sin and darkness. Now look at this. So if you go to Numbers chapter 11, you can, you can jump over there, but I'm just going to paraphrase this, is this. We see the same nation, okay, same nation, Israel, 800 days later, 800 days later. So, all right, here they are, 800 days later, and, and, and God is giving them manna, and God has been giving them quail. How many know that you could eat some quail sandwiches right there? Quail is the filet mignon of bird. Come on, somebody. All right, so, so, so check this out. So he, he, is, he is there, and he's giving th- them these things, except on Sunday. He, God knew Chick-fil-A. That was Chick-fil-A way back when. 
He is the original Chick-fil-A. But here's the thing. 800 days later, they should be past all that grumbling. They already grumbled. God said, okay, I got you. Nope. Now nah, I'm just going to grumble some more. Boy, it sounds like you and me, doesn't it? Numbers 11, 1 through 15 says this. Although the menu was always the same, Israel living in the middle of a, a desert, they were never without food. God kept his promise. He kept his end of the deal. But the Israelites would accept the food of the Lord graciously. And again, they began to complain uh, ungraciously. And they began to complain and grumble. And it says that the Lord burned with anger. I don't know about you. I don't want to make God mad. And he demonstrated his anger by burning the outskirts of the camp. That's how mad he was. He's like, listen, I have fed you guys. I know what it's like because I'm a parent. And there's moments where I'm like, I have fed you, I have clothed you, and I need you to show a little bit of gratitude. A thank you goes a long ways. And they're just still complaining. So let's look at this. And I got my two points right here. We're, we're going to fly through this. What is, what is grumbling? What is grumbling? Everyone look at your neighbor and say, what is grumbling? You know, it's amazing. We only see a few times in Scripture here in Moses' account where, where he talks about the children of Israel grumbling. But Exodus 17 tells us the story that people were so argumentative that Moses struggled to find time to lead the people of Israel. So there were so many problems going on that he's the leader, and he's trying to solve every problem. And eventually he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to separate these people, and you're going to be in charge of these people, and you're going to take care of social and emotional needs here, and you're going to take care of social and emotional needs. Because, listen, I'm trying to lead these people, and I can't put every fire out with these complaining people and these complaining Israelites. But what does he do? He writes two accounts where the children of Israel grumbled and complained. This is interesting to me. I know there was a lot more. But he highlights these two moments where Israel is grumbling in their nature. And here's what happens. The sly grumble often uh, we feel like is justified by its beholders. And, and, and it was destroying God's new nation. Why? Because they weren't putting their trust in God. Come on, somebody. They weren't putting their trust in God. And M Moses understood that, that that single act had the potential to destroy God's people in the future. So uh, we read in James that an attitude of ingratitude leads to sin that eventually pulls us far away from the Lord that we uh, no longer trust him. Come on. So what? What precisely is grumbling, and why, why is complaining so detrimental to our faith? So grumbling is, the, the, here's the point number one, grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. Next time you're grumbling, next time you're complaining, I want you to stop yourself and go, I'm doing the opposite of what God told me to do. I've been there. Next time you want to grumble and complain about gas prices, come on. Everyone's like, ooh, I don't want to amen that one. I like my grumbling right on that one, right? Grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. To grumble and complain is to reject the grace of God. Yeah, gas may be up, but guess what? God's still on the throne. God still loves me. God still sent his son for me. I'm free from the bondages of sin. I'm just a pilgrim passing through this land. I'll pay some high gas prices till I go to heaven. I'm okay with that. Listen. So Israel's complaining surpassed their, their unmet physical needs, and their murmuring was a faithless act. 
Did you catch that? The murmuring was a faithless act. Our murmuring, our complaining is a faithless act that insinuated God's provisions were not enough. Choosing to be ungrateful for their daily drop from the sky. Man, how much easier could God make it? Man, that's an Instacart way back when. They weren't even paying delivery for that to come to their front door. All they had to do was walk outside and pick it up. You know, it kind of reminds me in our modern world how we complain. You know, sometimes when we have grocery delivered, sometimes they don't show up. Sometimes they're late. But yet we have the audacity to go, well, you were late. You were supposed to be here. Well, guess what? You could drive to the store and get your own groceries, right? You ought to be grateful that they're even willing to bring it to you. But here's what happens. They're dropped from the sky and on the ground mills. They they desire to go back to slavery. And God's like, ah, I love you. I'm making this easy for you. But yet their desire was, ah, I'd rather go back. It's amazing to me. Grumbling takes the form of, of, the, of small sins. So let's look at this. What does that look like? You could write these down if you're a note taker. Discontentment. Fussiness. Gossip. Negativity uncompromising and unyielding mindsets and behaviors. Look at this. Grumbling sneakily destructs the strongest of believers. It's what happens. It has the power to pull the strongest of believers, those who were once in all of God's greatness, and and all of a sudden they become ungrateful for what God is doing, and then they find themselves far away from what God is doing. So grumbling gives us a free pass to go from God's provision to our problem. I know that, that's, a, that's a good right there. You ought to write that down. Someone ought to tweet that. Listen, uh, grumbling gives us a free pass to go from God's provision to our problem. It takes our problem at hand and turns it into a spiritual issue of the heart, which this is what happens. It eats away at our recognition of God's grace in our life. When I become ungrateful, ingrateful in my mind, and I have ingratitude in my heart, and I begin to say, you know what, God, I forget about the provision of God's grace over my life. So Israel, they grumbled and they complained about their situation, and they convinced themselves they'd rather be slaves in Egypt than free and walking people in the promise of God. And that's what happens to us. If we're not careful, we get into this mindset, guess what? We'll go back to what was and forget what God brought us out of. And grumbling has the power to bring us to this place. And ingratitude moves us backwards in thinking and ultimately living. And to live without gratitude and to choose grumble, grumbling is to live life backwards. Here's my, my, my second point. Come on up, worship team. Grumbling rejects gratitude and ask why. Grumbling rejects gratitude and ask why. So what are you saying there? This is what happens. If you have a heart of grumbling or ingratitude, this is what you say. Why, Lord? Why me? Or why not me? Come on. If we allow ourselves to reflect on our grumble and and unquenchable emptiness can form within to this why question in our life. Lord, why is this happening to me? Anybody ever ask the Lord that? Yeah, I, you know, so this is why, uh, this is why it's, it, it's birthed from a place of discontent, and this discontent births from a posture of ingratitude. We say this, um, this isn't enough, you know, Lord, this isn't enough, Lord, I need, I need more, 
God, I'm not, I'm not content with what I have. I, I gotta have, I gotta have more. I gotta do this, right? It's what we want. It's like this house isn't big enough. This job isn't good enough. This car isn't good enough. This spouse isn't good enough. Come on, somebody. And we begin to say things like that, like Cain and like like King David, and like the nation of Israel. I, I, I. I got to have more. I, I, why am I not getting the same thing? And this is grumbling. Listen, you can just say it like this. You know, I, in, in Israel's form, it would be like this. I don't want manna. I want blank. I don't want quail. I would rather have. And what we say is, God, I don't. I'm not grateful for the house you gave me. God, I want their house. And I'm not grateful for the family you gave me. God, I want my family to be like theirs. God, I'm not grateful for the job that you've given me. I want their job. God, I'm not grateful for this meal that I got at Taco Bell. God, I want something else. And there's this discontentment in our soul, and you find yourself stuck in the why. Ask yourself these questions, and these are rhetorical. Don't answer them out loud. Where do, where do you grumble? Let me ask you this. Where do you grumble in your life? Do you find yourself complaining? don't like that. I don't, man, this isn't good or it's not fair. This isn't fair. Complaining about gas prices. Complaining about this. Complaining about that. Complaining about what you didn't get to eat. Complaining about your meal that your wife made for you that you didn't, you didn't add any work to. You ought to be grateful for that. Complaining about your husband. He's working and doing his best to take care of things because he's not getting things done fast enough in the house. Come on, somebody. What about this question? Am I not content? Where we ask this question, it's not enough. My job's not enough. My car's not enough. My family's not enough. Do you live in this, the state of I want, I wish, I had, I miss? Do I cover others? Do I look at others and, and, and who lives and long, lovingly, uh, lo- longingly look at them and wish that I had their experience, their possessions, their spouse, their children, their house, their job, their friends? I know, I, I know, I'm coming down. The rubber's meeting the road right here. I know this is this this is some deep stuff, but these grumbles. Listen to me. You want God to do something in your life? You got to get rid of these grumbles because. The verse that I read says, be thankful in, that includes the fleece. I don't know about you, but I I have made up my mind that I'm going to live as content as I can with what I have. I'm glad that God gives me things. I love it when God blesses me. But I have come to this conclusion in my life that God, God will supply, God will give. And I would rather be under his grace than reject his grace because I'm grumpy. I have ingratitude. Look at this. A grumbling heart is the antithesis of a grateful heart. What does that mean? It's the opposite. When you're grumpy, when you're gripey, you're not thankful. I pray that when you get in those moments, and the Holy Spirit does this to me all the time. I want to be grumpy. I want to be upset. The Holy Spirit's like, you're a pastor. You know what my wife does to me? Oh, she's so good. We'll be in the car, and, and man, you know me, I'm going 100 miles an hour everywhere I go, 
and traffic will be slightly just, you know, enough, and I'll be, I'll be like, I am just, you know, mad because this person didn't go fast enough, two seconds, whatever, at the green light. And she's like, keep it up, Pastor. I'm going to show you something, the, the, the posture of ingratitude, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I promise I'm, I'm ending with this. Exodus chapter 15, this is interesting, the, the chapter before I read today. Israel, they were looking for water in the promised land, and they found water in Marah. And when they drank it, the Bible says that the water was bitter. And they were upset, and they murmured. All right, anybody have bitter water? My, my brother and sister one time, they, they gave me, when I was little, I thought they were giving me Sprite. They gave me Alka-Seltzer. You see what kind of trauma I had to deal with? Just, I'll never forget it was bitter. And I was like, what in the world is this? This is not Sprite. I felt better, though. Um, But what happened there in that moment, the water was bitter. And you know what God told Moses to do? He said, hey, take this tree and throw it in the water. Let me remember that story. And they take the tree and they throw it into the water. And you know what happens? The water becomes sweet. Now, I, I was looking at this. And I, I just want to speak to your situation today. This, this is such a perfect illustration. Maybe you feel like in your life right now, everything's bitter. The water you drink in your life is bitter or whatever the case. Maybe you got, you're a, gus, a, 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 a grumpy Gus, all right? Maybe that, that is you, and you're like, man, that, that is me to a T. And this is what I know, okay? Just like this picture is a picture of the cross. When we take the cross of Calvary and we throw it in our situation, it takes bitter and turns it into sweet. No matter what you're going through and what you want to complain about, listen, if you will take the cross, if you'll look to the cross of Calvary, the grace of God, and say, hey, God, I'm going to throw this into my situation, he'll take the most bitter situation and turn it, and it will be sweet. How many are grateful that God turns our bitter into sweet? Amen. I, I wonder how incredible it must have been for the Israelites to taste how sweet the water was after tasting bitterness. Be like me tasting Sprite after having Alka-Seltzer. And isn't it, isn't that true of our lives? The sweetness of Christ's forgiveness and grace is far sweeter than tasting the bitterness of sin. Right? And the sweetness of Christ's provision is all the sweeter after tasting the bitterness of desperate need. The sweetness of Christ's love and joy and peace is all sweeter after tasting the bitterness of emptiness of this world. Can you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for your word today, God. I know this is a different kind of word, but God, I believe that this is in season for us. God, as the people of God, God, we don't want to be the people in the end times that are unthankful for what you're what you're done for us and what you're doing for us. God, we want to be a people that are so thankful for your grace and mercy over us. If you're here today, you say, hey, Pastor, I, I have some bitter situations in my life. They're ugly. I need, to, 
I need to put the cross of Calvary in the middle of my situation and say, hey, I, I need to do that. I, I saw that representation. I saw that picture that you, you painted there and that story in the Old Testament. And that's what Christ does. He comes into our situation and he makes bitter into sweet. If you're here and you say, hey, I, that's me, Pastor. I, I need Christ to make my bitter situation sweet. I need to go from, from grumpy to joyous. I need to go from bad attitude to victorious. If that's you, would you just lift your hand in this house? I want to pray with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's just hands going up everywhere in this house. Will you stand with me all across this building?